everybody's back in the room, sort of, from Vancouver Island, from the Lower Mainland, and Las Vegas. It is Indoor Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Really excited to bring you this week's feature interview presented by Sense Arena with Scott Wedgwood from the Dallas Stars. He's going to teach you a whole bunch along the way. It's one of those ones that I've had to listen to multiple times because I keep soaking in so much more every time uh, I listen to the discussion between uh, Kevin Woodley and Scott Wedgwood, and also really entertaining uh, talking about uh, what's going on in the last couple of years. Uh, that's in the feature interview and in the gear segment uh, this week brought to you by The Hockey Shop. We are going to discuss pro returns and we are going back into the vault and some names that you haven't heard of for a while. We've got some collector's items uh, that are available with Cam and company as we welcome in Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison uh, from Ingle Mag. And uh, there's a lot happening over at the uh, the website right now, Woody. Yeah, fresh stuff from uh, Dylan Garand, your, your recently crowned World Junior Championship gold medal winner with Team Canada. Um, we're going to have him on the podcast next week with Hutch. Uh, so we'll tease that. We've also got an article on headshots. In other words, those of us in beer league have to deal with them all the time, but for pro goalies, are they a good thing? Dylan Garand actually uses them in warm up. We've seen Thatcher Demko, Braden Holpe. We've heard some other goalie coaches about the Finns using it for years. Why headshots can be a good thing for your tracking in your hands. That's up now at ingolmag.com for premium members. Tease it on our social, but the full article with the breakdown and the explanation is up there. Why headshots can be a good thing in warm-up. Something I never thought I would say. I hope none of my beer league teammates are listening because all they're going to say is, hey, we've been doing it right all along. Justification. It's, it's good. Quick complaining. Uh, I do really encourage people, and this is from the bottom of my heart, to go read the article and check it out before you just assume headshots are a good thing. So get the background, get the information, and then take that and use it to uh, your advantage. But uh, it's it's really interesting. The the grant stuff uh, that that is out there on social media, uh, it's it's fascinating stuff. Hutch, we first picked this up on a skate with uh, dylan it's been around for a long time had an nhl scout reach out to me this week and say hey that's an old finish thing and tuka rask used to used to do it as well and woody mentions a few others and we've got some video of some of the canucks goaltenders doing it as well so um not exclusively dylan's but that was the first place i saw it and where we got the video and um it's just a fantastic exercise for getting those hands going but also especially when you're at a skate where there's sort of a rotating group of shooters and they're not used to working with a particular goaltender. It's a whole lot of fun to be standing there when Dylan points at his head and then the shooters to a man turn around to me, eyes wide open saying, sorry, what does he want? Because of course, every coach out there has trained their, uh, their players, don't shoot at the goaltender's head. And now we've got this guy who's not just a run-of-the-mill goaltender, but he's one of the best in the world saying, shoot at my head, please fantastic to work on the hand speed to work be able to catch pucks out in front to be able to handle anything but it's a controlled situation so yeah players let's not be shooting at your head like you buzz woody's tower in beer league every night so there is pressure on the goaltender to make those saves so you don't take it off the mask but there's uh, an element on the shooter's shoulders because 
they're not used to this. So who do you think is feeling more heat in that scenario, having watched it firsthand, Hutch, the shooter or the goaltender? 100% the shooter. And unless somebody's, I mean, you, you'll you even see if you uh, if you go become an Ingle member and check out the full video over at IngleMag.com, uh, you'll see that the poor shooter that we uh, that we had on there did not hit his spot every time because they're pretty rattled. And unless it's somebody who's experienced and who's worked with them before, it's uh, pretty tough to hit that spot when you're feeling a little bit rattled. And the one thing I can say for coaches that are working with shooters and asking them, goalie coaches asking them maybe to do this, maybe it is new to you. Maybe you've never seen this before and you're thinking of adding it. Because as Hutch said, it's a great thing not only for tracking, but where do we want our hands when we're making saves? We want them out in front of us. Well, you you might be able to get the odd in a warm up where you're making a glove save sort of behind the plane of your body and get away with it. You can't really make a glove save on a shot at your head behind it and get away with it. You're going to feel that one. But when you watch Ian Clark in the videos, there's one, I think it might be the Holpe one, not the Demko one, where he's got a new shooter out there and he's talking to the shooter and he sort of defines it is in between the shoulders. Don't think of it as aiming at his head. You want head height and sort of in between the two shoulders. That's what accomplishes it. So maybe broadens the spectrum a little bit for the shooters and they don't have to think I got to hit them right between the eyes. That's the range you're looking at. That's going to activate the drill for the goalie the way we want to as goalie coaches. Got some news on Carey Price uh, that I want to get to, uh, but first one follow-up on that. Uh, when you say between the shoulders and you guys have witnessed this drill firsthand, are we talking blocker side and glove side, or mm-hmm. is it primarily just glove side? Because I get I get the glove side, you can, you can make those saves, but uh, are, are the shooters shooting to the other side too? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're, they're not hitting their spot all the time anyway. So it's not like, you know, one's going over the left shoulder and one's going over the right shoulder. They end up everywhere. But the coaches that use this with their goaltenders uh, talk about having that ability to cross body and catch pucks as well. Just that ability to retain a puck that you might normally have to pick off with your shoulder or your blocker or something and send back out into play, Woody. Two words, Pecarine. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Speaking of Finnish goalies. Uh I watched the U18s and obviously the the World Junior Championship and that that tradition of Finnish goaltenders being able to catch the puck anywhere all right on the ice or above the net it it continues now it's it is fully ingrained and it's one of the reasons why I love uh love watching uh Finnish hockey uh all the time Love me some active hands. And on that note, Darren, I know you wanted to 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 get over to the Carey Price news, but a quick little interjection, because obviously we, we talked a little bit about UC Parkela becoming the first European, first Finnish goalie coach to win the Stanley Cup in that role with a National Hockey League team. Uh, we talked about the Vancouver Canucks hiring Marco Terenius, who we've had on the podcast to be their development coach in the American Hockey League. Well, the Hershey Bears sort of stuck this one in on me. I missed it as part of a larger announcement. I teased in the past that it was coming. There would be a second Finnish coach hired in the American Hockey League into an NHL development role. And that that gentleman's name is Juha Letola. Hopefully I said that right. But there you go. The trend continues from Parkillo winning a cup to Terenius getting the job with Vancouver. Now Juha Letola getting a job in the American Hockey League as the development coach with the Washington Capitals. They announced that in mid-August. I feel bad, actually. I missed the announcement. I've been teasing it like it was about to come, about to come, and it actually had happened uh, a little over, almost two weeks ago, a little over a week ago. So uh, congratulations to you, ha. A lot of people are going to draw lines between Parkilla winning the Cup and those two hires. As we've said before, circumstances play a role here. I think Terenius is a guy that probably would have been over sooner. 
Uh, but the reality is they pay more in the KHL than they do in the NHL. So taking an AHL job uh, nor under normal circumstances probably wouldn't happen. But obviously with everything going on in the Ukraine, KHL is no longer an option. He comes over. And in the case of Letola, uh, this is a guy who was a runner-up uh, for the job when they hired, I think it was four or five years ago, Mitch Korn was doing the hiring. And he was sort of the next in line behind Alex Westland. Now Westland moves on to the Detroit Red Wings and... The Capitals need to hire a new development coach. And so they go right back to the guy that they had queued up uh, just behind Westland all those years ago. Um, so as much as everyone's going to want to say it's a trend, there are some circumstances in here that are just, this would have happened regardless of Parkilla winning a cup or not. Uh, but still, it's something I like to see. I think we see countries, we talk about the Finnish hands and we talk about the success that other countries have with goalie coaching, Russia, Sweden, Finland. Uh, it's nice to see some of the guys responsible for this that are behind it, that are having that success overseas, get opportunities to bring it over here to North America. And as I've argued for a while, probably long overdue. Do you think we'll get to the point where if you have a star Russian goaltender, that the organization would hire a Russian goalie coach to work with, with that uh, netminder? Or will it be independent and remain so? Uh, interestingly enough, I think some of the KHL teams actually have both, right? Like when Marco Terranius was there uh, working with Ska, one of the you know premier big money teams in the KHL, there was a second goalie coach who was Russian, Rashid Davidov, who, when, if you remember Igor Shishterkin's, um Vesna Trophy acceptance speech, he thanked two people, Benoit Lair and Rashid Davidoff in terms of from the coaching side. And so you know, Terranius on our podcast, and every time we've talked to him, very quick to point out the work that Davidoff did uh, with Igor Shishterkin, and and obviously Igor appreciated that work because he gives him the shout out. I don't know that we're going to see that over here. I, I I don't know why they have it in the KHL. Maybe it's a language thing, but short of that, I'm not sure you would see that come over. In fact, I mean, maybe a coach from the same country, but what I don't think you'll see is that goalie's coach coming over because we've we've sort of seen that as a trend that a lot of teams avoid not all but a lot of them just are hesitant to hire the goalie coach who works or has worked specifically with a goalie on their team for a long time in other places at other levels just because of the potential complications that creates with the other goalie or other goalies in the system now we've seen that trend bucked a little bit uh, you know, I think of David Alexander getting hired with the St. Louis Blues, uh, having had a long history with Jake Allen. Jake Allen was the first one that told me, like, this guy's a hell of a coach. Watch for him coming up the ranks. Uh, but there are, I think, more teams go the other way where they will specifically avoid hiring uh, a goalie coach who's worked with one of the guys uh, in their system or on their team in the NHL or coming up the ranks. Hutch, you agree with that? No, 100%. I don't want to get too deep into it but Woody really alluded to the fact that we've heard of uh multiple cases of guys who've brought forward I don't want to say their personal goalie coach but somebody they have long history with uh to their teams and general managers have uh decided to go another way just almost not wanting to set a precedent where they have to cater to the desires of one of their players not necessarily goaltender specifically and uh, just very cognizant of of what that relationship might set up. But uh, kudos to the franchises that uh, have had the courage to do that when they think it's the best thing for their for their goaltender. I I think that the model Woody talked about, where where language comes into play, is something that people certainly could consider. 
um, in such a highly technical sport where we get limited time with our athletes. Uh, I think it's really important to maximize the use of that time. So if there's somebody in place that can help from from a language perspective, I could certainly see teams wanting to do that. But uh, yeah, definitely interesting to uh, see how these things all play out. Okay, Carrie Price, what do we know? Where do we think this is headed? Woody? We have sad face emojis over here at Ingle Magazine these days. Um, uh, Anybody that where we've had uh, some of these clips where we run the uh, video as well knows that over my shoulder as I talk to the boys are three jerseys, Carrie Price from the 2014 Olympics, Roberto Luongo from the 2010, and Henrik Lundqvist from 2006 all signed and it looks like we may not have any of them in the National Hockey League. Um, certainly the news from Kent Hughes uh, at his presser this past week saying that he would that it didn't look like Kerry would play this year. Um, not a shock to us having been in Kelowna last week and talked to some people you know that would normally be around the rinks where would you expect him to skate by now? And we've talked in the past with Kerry about why he puts his gear away all summer come August 1st, just because it reignites the passion for him. But come August 1st, he's got it back on, and he's usually on the ice taking part in skates at the CNC up in Kelowna or or some of the pro skates up there, which can be like all-star games. There's so many guys that live there, and there was no trace of that. Um, Indications that he wasn't skating into mid-August sort of were assigned to us that he probably wasn't going to be playing this year. And I mean, at least the door seems a little open. Hughes talking about the possibility that it would... Maybe not so much a possibility, but saying that it would require another surgery. So you got to wonder if that if that passion, you know, burns deep enough. Would he consider yet another surgery and yet another rehab? And we know how much of a grind that can be on athletes mentally. Uh, if it meant another chance to play, but man, taking a year another year off after barely playing last year, uh, certainly without wanting to put words in anyone's mouth, it certainly looks like we've seen the last of Carey Price in the National Hockey League, and. That's that's just a sad day for me because uh, the NHL is better with Carey Price in it. And, you know, I've seen the arguments already. Like, does he belong in the Habs? You know, number retirement, you know, uh, wall of fame, like a different. Is he a Hall of Famer? I'll leave those arguments maybe for another day or for others for now until it's official. But I will say this. From a goalie union perspective, 100% he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Um, nobody, and I mean nobody. You can have a debate between Lundqvist and Price, frankly. Statistics might lean towards the Swede in terms of the greatest goalie of his generation, frankly. But when it comes to moving the needle for goalies around the world, nobody moved it like Carey Price. He built brands, quite literally built the CCM goaltending brand um, after switching over and having gear built for him that became the E-Flex line. Like, Carey Price was the guy that when he changed his glove break, everybody noticed and everybody switched the way he did up his toe ties. And by the way, a lot of the explanations for these things can be found at ingoldmag.com for premium subscribers because we were in the room with him every summer at the day with Price and he would talk about those changes. But like literally we would post a photo of him warm up skating and having not even recognized it ourselves yet. Within seconds, like 20 people had replied, he switched from the 600 break to a 590. (laughs) Like they just, everything that he did, goalies wanted to do. And that included the way he moved around the ice. Like we've talked about it before. DVDs are no longer relevant, 
But for us, he was a how-to-goalie human DVD. You watched him play if you wanted to know how to play the position. And, and in that regard, in terms of how he was regarded by goalies around the world, 100% first ballot Hall of Famer. Nobody moved the needle over the last 15 years like Carey Price when it came to goalies. Favorite moment was actually not on the ice. Uh, it was relax, chill out uh, during that uh, preseason when uh, Montreal Canadian fans were aghast at, uh, and worried about uh, which direction the team was going. It's like, hey, it's, it'll be okay. That was just one of the, it just exemplified his personality uh, that, that we see all the time where he's just, he's just a guy that, uh, that has ice water in, in his veins. That, that was cool. I love that moment. I think my favorite moment was actually at the the day with uh, Carey Price that Eli Wilson put on. Hutch, remember one of the? I don't know if it was. The, well, I don't think it was the first one. I think it was the second or third one. Really started to come out of his shell with the kids mm-hmm. a little bit. He was always great with the kids, but he was more relaxed. I think that second one to the point where they're in the locker room. He's getting dressed with all the kids, and they're asking. They're just rapid firing questions about everything, and he's answering all of them. And then one kid's having trouble getting his skates done, so. Carries right in there, right? Like helping tie this kid's skates. And maybe that's the one thing that brings a smile to my face. Getting to see him with the kids before Kerry had kids himself and seeing the relationship that he had with Jerry Price, his dad, who was also a part of those camps and played a mentorship role, not just teaching on the ice, but talking to the other goalie parents about this journey that they were all going through and that he had been through to the highest level. You just knew, like you saw it and you're like, man, this guy's going to be a great dad. And so uh, if it is over and we don't get to see him on the ice, the, the one part that brings a smile to my face is knowing he's going to get more time with his family and his young family uh, as a result of that. Because you knew, like, like I said, like I know Hutch was in there too, and you're like, this is before he even had kids. And you're like, man, this guy's going to, he's so great with the kids. He was so good on the ice and in the locker room and so natural with it that you just knew he was going to be a great dad as well. And so I hope he gets more time if indeed he's not playing. Uh, to enjoy all those aspects of his life. Hutch, we should also mention the in-goal exclusive what, that offered the exemplary comment from Kerry regarding the glove and baking. Right, it. yeah. I mean, he's always, he's always got uh, good one-liners, and I don't think this one was intended to be a one-liner, but he was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you can check it out over at uh, in-goal. He was talking about the fact that he, bakes his glove before every practice and uh he just loved how it felt like a warm loaf of butter (laughs) as he put his hand into it i want some of my great memories guys are just those press conferences i mean darren you alluded to it yourself um but uh you know two two that stood out for me uh one was when the reporter asked him i think it was in montreal uh carrie did you think you could have had that one and he just deadpans i think i can have them all and walks away. Um, just love that. And and then there's another one, uh, you know, the old saying that that so many people pull out all the time, oh, it's just unbelievable when you want to say that something was so good. And Carrie's response to one of them was, yeah, it was so believable. <laughs> and, I, and I just thought that was beautiful. Uh, you want to check something out from the archives uh, with The National, CBC's The National. Uh, he did a, an unbelievable cool uh day with peter mansbridge or mm-hmm. peter mansbridge spent the day with carrie price and they actually did a majority of the interview just leaning on carrie's pickup truck in the driveway which was uh which was awesome uh one of those organic moments uh with peter 
And speaking of archives, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact there are literally dozens and dozens of articles featuring Carrie, both pro reads, pro tips, pro drills uh, from our time with him at that day with Price, Eli Wilson camp up in the interior. We did it every summer for, I want to say, five summers. First one was seven years ago. And just little tips, where to place your stick, how to get good rotation in the butterfly to use how to use your hands and lead that movement so many little tidbits just organically on the ice him in full gear providing tips for kids that applied right up to the pro level the same habits that he was trying to teach them that were easily applied for the most part by even these littlest of goalies were the same things that he focused on a day in day out basis that made him one of the greats uh, the suggestions about the stick will never leave my mind. It's just so intricate, but obvious when, when you, you see it coming uh, from, from his perspective. It's like, why didn't I think of that? And, and you never would have, uh, would have thought of that. So uh, that's great. Uh, Ingoldmag.com, uh, check it out. Uh, lots of stuff and some cool uh, pictures too of, uh, of Carrie Price in an Ingoldmag uh, sweater. So that's, uh, that, that's neat. Uh, and we're looking forward to, uh, some of that, uh, as you go down memory lane and, uh, and still holding out a little bit of hope that we'll see Carrie Price back on the ice. Uh, the hockey shop source for sports, Surrey, the hockey shop.com gear segment, uh, coming up. Uh, and we also have our feature interview with Scott Wedgwood of the Dallas stars, but hanging out with Cam this week is, uh, it's different than Carrie in this stroll down memory lane, but it's just, uh, as, um, Oh, I remember that uh, sort of uh, eye-catching and uh, and mind-tweaking, uh, Woody. Yeah, throwback time. Uh, they got some pro returns. Obviously, we went over the Bauer pro returns uh, a couple of months ago. You know, the Elmark set, the Dubnik set. Some of those, because they're so unique, um, they really do require the right goalie in the right area to sort of, you know, cherish the, that type of look and that type of setup. Um, are still available and on sale. They've been discounted further. But there's also some some other really unique ones. How about how about, a, how about a Stanley Cup winner? How about the glove used this year of a Stanley Cup winning goaltender? Uh, that's just one of a lot of items that Cam's going to walk us through this week as we go over some of the pro return inventory that's kicking around and on sale now at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. Welcome back to the hockey shop source for sports. Where we had the new warrior line. No. I didn't know where to go. Like, I guess so. We have a bit of everything, folks. <laughs> I know that a lot of you have been asking about these beauties that have been in the backdrop for a lot of our recent gear segments. I know it's generated a lot of comments in the, in the uh, comment section. Even a couple calls to Cam asking, what exactly is that? What are those? <laughs> but... What are those? They don't even have a label on them. What are these things? What's this? <laughs> Why is Kevin wearing a glove on the wrong hand and it's used? Well, let me tell you, folks. This is a Stanley Cup championship glove. This is Pavel Franco's practice mitt, SLR3. So it's this year is Stanley Cup season. And much like this eclectic mix of gear surrounding us right now, it I can be purchased at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, thehockeyshop.com. It's pro return time, and we're just going to mix it in and have a little fun and show you some of the samples. We did the Bauer one recently. We've still got a few of those. There's Linus Allmark's 
Sabres gloves. We've got a set of Devin Dubnik pads that are still available. Somewhere uh, over there. A whole bunch of CCM, E-Flex 4, uh, pro-level stuff, made for pros. Over here, we got, uh, is that Legacy? Max Legacy? Um, some of this stuff even has K. Whitmore's autograph on it. I saw, like, league-approved stuff for Joseph Kornar in the Premier 2 line. There is a ton of stuff here. So, first of all, we can't cover it all. We can't go over it all. So, make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com to get a better feel for all this unique gear, including, are those messiahs? Yeah. Yeah. Warrior yeah. messiah. So, predates Pete Smith joining Warrior by a fair bit. Like, I'm thinking, Cam, when I look at those yellow beauties, the, the color doesn't make me think this, but the model does. Like, I'm thinking Dwayne Rolison in Tampa Oh, I'm Bay. definitely thinking Rolly the goalie right now, for sure. That, um, Knee rolls, tiny thigh rise. Kids, you don't know how good you have it now that they have tall thigh rises. Thigh rises barely existed in the past. But even more for NHLers in. Jonas Gustafsson, you're holding Yo, Detroit Red Wings. This is turn. the monster. What mod? Like so, no, no labels because Warrior obviously what hadn't paid the rights fee that year when they made these pads for him. So GT2. they hide the labels. This is GT two original Ritual One glove. Ritual One. Oh, I this think that was the back. ST though. Brings back, yeah, brings back memories. Sort of like a like a more like a six hundred break that brings back memories. Fifty five hundred style. We we were like the first ones to review this, and then GT two blocker. You see, like Jonas Gustafsson, the monster. I think he's still, I think he might have just retired over in Sweden, so was still playing. Here's one that we just got recently, too, as well. Another speaking of segue into old school Vaughn models, Epic 8800. Got two of the all white gloves. Ooh, there's a lot of beer leaguers that are just like, sign me up right now. Cam, where can they get you if they need that 8800? 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Or you can now check them out at www.thehockeyshop.com. We have our own little pro return section. You'll find this and more all up there. Some specs, we did our best to break down everything we possibly can, but they are pro returns, so there are some inherent natures or things that we may or may not have missed. That said, I, who, check them out. Is there a name on that one or that's just an 8800? Because there are definitely no still guys in the show that, wear it, that like that closure. Uh, there are 100%. That's why it's still kind of around. Uh, this one's based on V6 graphic itself. But uh, yeah, no name on this one. So I am I like, folks, I want to go to thehoggyshop.com right now just to see how exactly he described these warrior pads. Made, <laughs> made for Barada? Who's Barada? This is like a mystery. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, the mystery. maybe the internet can help us solve who had these custom yellow pads made. He wore number one. His last name was Barada. I don't know if he was a pro or not. Um, but if you want more information on these beautiful yellow pads so many of you have been asking about, or the Jonas Gustafsson Pro Return set, or a, like, there's a lot. Like, this is Legacy. There's Coronar. He's got a whole bunch more CCM. Deming. E-Flex 4. Louis Domingue for the lefties. If, you, if the uh, Pro Return Pavel Francois Stanley Cup champion doesn't work for you, whole bunch of E-Flex yes. 4 and Premier 2. Pro return models on the wall. Sometimes you don't have to just go buy the newest model. Sometimes you can find some really cool stuff. And quite often, it's marked yeah. down. Well, those are definitely marked down, I hope. Find out at thehockeyshop.com. And if you happen to know who Barada is, let us know. The equipment's cool. The names, like, I, I feel like... I 
yeah, I haven't thought of that in a long time. That that guy, the monster, like just just neat uh, hearing all those guys that uh, some of them have been retired for uh, a little bit. Brings me back to the early warrior days. Hey, Hutch, remember when yeah. we were uh, doing some of those oh, yeah. early reviews? It was uh, Gustafson and Scott Clemenson were the two goalies that were wearing it in the National Hockey League at the time. And for the monster, as, as we mentioned there, uh, no logos on that one because it was after they stopped, stopped paying the fees to sort of the rights fees to have their logos on the on the gear in the NHL. Obviously, they still do for the sticks, but each sort of each piece of equipment is uh, a different price point and a d- different fee you have to pay. Um, yeah, so good times there. Also good times at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com right now. If you want to save money, the back to hockey sale is on right now. Huge discounts on all kinds of inventory, uh, from head to toe, basically from masks to skates, accessories, uh, the Bauer Supreme ultrasonic line is on sale at 20% off or more, depending on which item you're looking at, which price point. Uh, I really, I don't even know where to go, Darren, in terms of identifying specifics. All I know is there is a ton of gear at discounted prices designed to get you back to hockey at a cheaper rate than you would pay anywhere else. Make sure you check out the back to hockey sale. If you're blessed to be in the lower mainland, go in person, bug Cam a little bit and his staff at the hockey shop. Or if you can't, hit them up online at thehockeyshop.com. I can't tell you which direction to go. And, and, and normally, normally that's not an issue with me to you uh i'm I'm fairly fairly accurate in that but every time i'm on uh the hockey shop uh website uh thehockeyshop.com i'm I'm going down a a different path so uh i'm i'm at a loss uh on on this side uh sense arena bringing you your feature interview this week with scott wedgwood of the dallas stars and you won't be uh alone if you listen to this a couple of times because there's just so much information here just like uh, over at Sense Arena and what they've got going on right now, Hutch. They sure do. it. Hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but I just noticed today, big Sense Arena announcement, tennis. I know this is a goaltending podcast, but a great way to be working on your hand-eye coordination is tennis. So it just uh, really shows what an impact Sense Arena has had on the goaltending market that they're now branching out into another sport. And there got to be some mums and dads out there probably some goalies out there that are tennis players. So you might want to check that out as well. But look, this time of year, everybody's in camp, everybody's in tryouts, or they're just about to be. They're trying to find the spot for the team that they're going to play on this season. If you're thinking right now, I wonder if I could have done a little bit more. I wonder if I could have done something to be a little bit further ahead. One thing you could have done that you could still do for next year is Sensorina. There are dozens and dozens, hundreds of goaltenders out there right now using Sensorina to help them become better goaltenders. When you can't get on the ice, if you want some extra training, if you want to face pro shooters, if you want to do some great drills, if you want to work on your hand-eye coordination, on your neuro programming, your all the skills that are important to being a great goaltender. They're built into Sense Arena, and we've seen them wow pro coaches. We've seen them wow pro goalies. It's something that really, if you can do it, you should get your hands on Sense Arena because it will make you a better goaltender, and it'll let you play on that team you want to be on next season. So grab Sense Arena, everybody. When you go over to SenseArena.com and check it out, use the code IGM50, and you'll get a little bonus on top of whatever discount they might be offering today. 
I skated for the first time in a while uh, the other day, and I made sure that I did this sense arena before uh, I went to the rink just to get sort of back in the groove of uh, of facing shots again. And? And it was good. It was it was great. I just, I felt more confident. I felt more comfortable uh, yeah. out there. It doesn't, I mean, uh, I'm not at the level of the shooters that I'm facing, but it was just, it gave me uh, a bit of a boost going into the, into the skate. I think we need to see, can, can we program it so that it just takes shots at the head and we can do the Dylan Garan warm up <laughs> okay. in Sense Arena? I'm going to have to, I, I'm going to check that out today. I promise, Woody. They did. One of the things that Sense Arena does all the time is they're upgrading, they're adding new features. One of the more recent ones they added was the shot cannon, where you can get every shot placed in exactly the same place so that you can redo a drill over and over and over a particular save. I'm going to see if the head is available. And if not, I'll uh, have a word with our friends at Sense Arena and see if maybe it could get slipped in there. We could have the Garand warm up in Sense Arena. I definitely need some Sense Arena. My beer league team is talking about cuts this year. Uh, I sense they've got a young whippersnapper. Oh, oh uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, but so, you're the beer man, so you're fine. Yeah, I, I left the cooler with somebody else at the end of last season, so I Uh-oh. think this is a secret plot Uh-oh. to get rid of Woody. So I gotta, I gotta up my game here. I gotta fire up the sense arena while I'm away next week and make sure when I come back, I'm rare and I go. Woody, you're in trouble. I'm always in trouble. <laughs> I, 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 it, it comes a point in all of our careers, but this is a way to extend it. You can, you can do this. A little adversity is not a bad thing just to, to give you that little push to really dial in hardcore into, into Sensorita. You got it. All right. And then, then double down and listen to the Scott Wedgwood conversation that you had with uh, the Dallas Stars goaltender a couple more times because there's so much knowledge in this uh, back and forth that you had it's extraordinary really and i'm talking like terminology like 60 40 and going downhill uh i was texting you guys uh about it uh trying to to make sure that i was uh, on the same level that that you guys are at but there's just some cool little uh parts about goaltending to that people are going to really love about this and i i think like i don't know that we've ever had anybody go into that like we've had detail Right. Like we've had goalies go into detail, but like as Hutch texted me right after he listened to the interview uh, as he was producing it, I'm a Scott Wedgwood fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already become one after getting to finally sort of chat with him last year for the first time. Um, I'd been a fan of his numbers and his analytics. Uh, I actually kind of went into the trade deadline last year predicting that, you know, amidst all the talk about big names, that somebody should be after this guy because his numbers had really jumped late in the season in Arizona. And he made me look good by basically, if you think about the games and the teams he was playing against, that he didn't win them all. Some of them were OT losses against Toronto, but where they were badly outplayed and he got them a point, like you could make a very strong argument that without that trade, especially with the injury to Holpe and Bishop and Hudobin, that the Dallas Stars aren't in the playoffs. And and cover your ears, Darren, but the Vegas Golden Knights probably are. If not for Scott Wedgwood being acquired by the Stars at the deadline, he made a huge difference. And it was really fascinating to hear him walk through all the details so specifically of what changed in his game. And we'll we'll go back and I'll I'll give you guys some numbers after. I don't want to give anything away because he outlines a sort of specific time frame when these things started to change. And let me tell you, the before and after numbers are somewhat startling when I looked them up on ClearSight Analytics. So... Uh, This one is loaded with tips and advice. 
I don't care if you're a young goaltender or a beer leaguer. There are things that Scott talks about here that if you just kind of think your way through them and the way he explains them and then try and apply them on the ice, the game will be simpler for you and you will be better for having listened to it. So this is already one of my favorite interviews. So glad we got Scott Wedgwood as your buckle in, folks. This one's over an hour. And uh, he's just a beauty. He's 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 he was willing to go a lot longer. Uh, we'll save it for a part two. Uh, but this this was Scott Wedgwood, and and like I said, one of my favorites already for the Ingle Radio podcast. And the light bulb moment uh, was not just uh, Scott, but also working in concert with the goalie coach, and that's an important uh, example and something that we should all uh, take in as well. Scott Wedgwood of the Dallas Stars, the feature interview on Ingle Radio the podcast presented by Sensorina. Really happy to welcome to the In Goal Radio podcast for the first time, Scott Wedgwood, now of the Dallas Stars. After a huge summer, both personally and professionally, nice contract with the Dallas Stars after being traded late there last season, two-year deal, one-way contract, but also gets married in the summer. A little bit of travel. This has been the summer of weddings for NHL guys, right? Because we haven't been able to have them for a couple of years. I was just at a camp in Kelowna and guys are like all over the place. Their weddings, other weddings. First off, just congratulations on both fronts. What uh, It's been a big summer for you, Scott. Yeah, it has. And thank you. Um, no, I think it's, you know, it's everything's kind of fallen into place, which is nice. Um, my wife and I actually went through a green card process in the year I signed with Tampa Bay in 19. We, uh, we applied in September. So we had uh, a talk with the lawyer. I'm like, hey, like, we're engaged. We're you know, planning a wedding. Like, what do you recommend? He said, well, I don't want to steer people because if you want to get married on paper, she piggybacks your application and it's, you know, a two-year process for the both of you where if you go through it and then she gets married, then you get a sponsor for two years. So we actually got married uh, on paper March 9th of 2020. And then we walked down the aisle uh, July 16th this summer. So pushed it back. We did it in Canada with the COVID rules and stuff. We want to make sure parents and everybody can get their, you know, uh, immediate family wise. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, you know, a long time coming. We, we got everybody in the same room for once, which is hard to do in our lifestyle. I feel like I've Miss so many Christmases and events and things like that. So that's a nice one for us to get everybody there. And then, uh, yeah, you know, we got the deal done a couple of weeks before that. So that was, uh, you know, off my mind and no free agency. Uh, Obviously the timing's great to get that contract right before you're, you're headed off for the, for the wedding was you, you've been at this a long time. This is going into your 10th year as a pro. What did it mean to have the stability of two years and a one-way deal? Something I know you worked towards for a long time. And like, there's been some bouncing around there. I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. To have that stability, to know you're with that organization, what does that mean to you at this point? I think for the wife and I, it's kind of been almost just you know we can put our mind at ease a little bit. I mean, you can obviously still be traded like anything. It's you know not a of course movement clause kind of thing, but just to know that we can you know go down to camp for the first time a little bit earlier, settle in, get a house, kind of be prepared to, to start the year. I've never had that. You know, you show up a few days before you're in a hotel. I mean, I Jersey this past year, I was in a hotel till I got moved in November. I got down there probably early September. And then same thing. And when I got moved to Arizona, I was in a hotel till I think right around Christmas, they offered me a housing letter and then I got a place Jan one. So, I mean, it, it, you know, I didn't pay for rent until January 1st this year, which is a bonus, but also kind of tough on the, uh, the daily life. But um, yeah, you know, having the stability, I think that's, kind of one of the only really things I went into the negotiation process with, it was kind of, what are you looking for? What do you want? Kind of thing. I mean, honestly, I just, I would like multiple years, but I then you're on the other side where do you take too many years and undervalue yourself potentially in the, in the end. And there's, 
a lot more that goes into it than just, I want this and I want money and I want time. It's, you know, how do you anticipate the rest of your career going? And it was a fun process. I mean, I've had, you know, summers where there's a lot of calls, but it's, you know, who's going to pay you in the American league kind of thing. So, um, you know, just working with Dallas there and making sure that um, we were in a situation that worked and luckily in the tax there, you know, a million dollars there is a significant raise in a few other cities. Um, so that came into obviously the question too. It's like, you know, what is it worth for you to go back and be with Ott and Jeff Reese and the situation and the guys. And, and we actually uh, were very happy and excited to kind of go back and, and run with that, that duo and kind of the setup and everything that it brought with, we got a little, little amount of time there with two months at the end of the season. Was that process to go to Dallas late in the season and try and build a relationship with another new goalie coach? And I, and I wanted to talk to, to you a little bit about how that's been throughout your career. Cause we can see, we've seen guys when, when guys move around, you always end up with new voices and sometimes it can be a positive, but also sometimes we've seen guys sort of chase changes with new voices to satisfy. Like, you know, you sort of have to make sure you're doing what the new guy wants you to do because he ultimately decides whether you play or not, but at the same time, stick with your foundation. What does, what does Jeff do so well? Cause I've heard nothing but great things from pretty much every guy that's gone through there about how Reeser works. What does he do that allows you to sort of play your game but also, is he looking to add things? Like, how, how does that approach work? What is he so good about with that? Honestly, the first thing that probably stuck out the most is when I got there, he's like, listen, it's late in the year. You're going to play some big games down the stretch. I've watched you. You know, I did a lot of the video of why we went and got you. Um, he's like, I don't really want to change anything. He's like, I just you know, want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel confident. Um, my goalie sessions. And he kind of just like right out of the gate was like, you know, listen, this is one, two, and three for me. Um, give us a chance to win you know, play your heart out. And then, you know, I'm looking for this, this, and this. And it wasn't merely like you had to do something. It was like, keep your game the same. You're playing bigger. He's like, that was one thing early on in my career, which was funny. I came across Jeff uh, twice before I got there it was uh, 2012, the Trenton Titans. He was working for Philly and uh, Nico Hoivenen and uh, Cal Heater were down there with me throughout the season. So he would come work with them and then being on the ice, you know, same thing. We'd interact. And then Tampa, Dallas in the finals and the bubble there. Um, you know, I crossed paths with them with the goalie skates with Franz and things like that. So um knew him well enough. Um, and then obviously coming over there is just kind of you know rekindling after a long time, but now in a more of a face-to-face daily interaction. But um, but no, he was honestly he's just he's easy, easily approachable, I think is one of the you know biggest keys. And I don't feel weird walking to his office. Like, you know, you want to do video, you don't feel like you're gonna be under the gun. It was just kind of even keel, easy approach. He, you know, he nitpicked like anybody, this is, you know, this is right, this is wrong. But then is, you know, he's very positive in all of his analysis. And he's like, listen, this was great. This was a huge save, great time of the game. You know, just reiterate, like, you know, you're doing well. And honestly, it doesn't sound like much, but it's just that small thing down the stretch where it's like, boom, like, this was great. This was amazing. That might've won us the game, whether you thought it or not, we went down two minutes later and scored. It's not a big save, but it's the right save. And it's just kind of little things like that. And it's just, it was just so easy to communicate. He called me a few times this summer and same thing. It's funny because we, we often, you know, the questions we ask are like, what, what are you working on in video to change? What are they looking at? And like you said, nitpick, but it sounds like positive reinforcement as much as anything to sort of, you know, maintain positive vibes from one start to the next are, are a big part of those video sessions. Oh, a hundred percent. And then like, I'm so analytical and like critical of any, any goal, any shot, any practice thing, like, you know, I, anything, you'd be, it's like a random shot. You make a blocker save and the video would be like, Oh, that was a great save. And I'm like, yeah, but the way I felt in that moment actually wasn't that great of a save, but no one sees how you felt. They're like, Oh, I actually was a little bit off there, but this, then they ended up hitting me. And I mean, I'm sure everybody feels that way. Like you want to be as clean and as pure as you can in every situation, but 
you'll get hit with a puck or you'll make a nice save. I'm like, damn, like, you know, my, I mean, Pat, I felt like it was going to fall off there and you get to the next play and then it's out of your zone and the video the next day, you're like, Oh, what a save. I'm like, actually, I kind of felt like crap in that movement, but it's just, you know, it's, it's all personal preference throughout things. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was great with it. And he's, you know, he's been awesome to kind of have in your corner, but, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to him and Otts and getting to know Otts right away. Everyone, so as soon as I walked in there, everyone's like, you're going to love him. A couple of the guys, uh, Brian Eklund and Rogalski from Jersey had worked with him. They texted me, like, you're going to love him. And just a, you know, a bright kid and, you know, super easy going. And at his age, you wouldn't know how young he is. It's, it was, it was impressive to kind of work with him there. And we're looking forward to him and texting him as well this summer. I don't care what level you play at as a goalie. We've all have those moments where what, you know, the big save where you feel like, oh man, I got away with that. Just hit me. Right. Like, is, is there a point like where you have to be willing to let that go to, like you said, you're analytical and critical of yourself. So you're obviously, obviously when you watch video or you review yourself playing, I'm guessing you're nitpicking yourself. You're looking for details to improve, but is there a point where learning to let that go sometimes becomes important? Can, can you do too much of that? Where do you find that line? Oh, for sure. And I think honestly, um, I think I, I would love to go back this year and right around December, I think I played Boston and I was start working with Corey Schwab and we kind of just went like, listen, like we're going to start our stance high and just pretty much get hit. And kind of like early on in my career, I think it might've been a negative was I was very like uh, old style, Jonathan quick, just like so athletic, so aggressive, fly around the net. But as you do that, it'd be harder to be hit and clean. So there'd be the one where you'd reach high blocker and hit your blocker, go through you. Just, you'd be an inch off, right? You know, I read it and just the way it is. So he's like, let's try and just get hit more, take a little bit of the athleticism out of it and just be a target. And I think from, you know, that December Boston game on, like I, I don't remember really getting beat on a bad goal. Like there'd be ones you obviously want bad, back, but it was never really like, Oh, like I overreacted to hit me, went through me. So then it kind of came to that point where it's like, I just, you know, shuffled down my angle, be in the right spot, force them to beat me on either side. And that side they shot to the other side. I didn't have to react from played it almost 60, 40. And it just got so much calmer. And they were just like shuffle, small shuffle, small shuffle. Don't get wide. Don't get explosive. And then anything on a two-on-one, it's, you know, my best versus your best. And then, and then I can go into shootout mode and aggressive mode and play my kind of game. But that easy kind of shuffle downhill kind of stuff, it, it's been so easy. And I just don't feel like I move. And it's just like, I don't know why or how it just clicked. But I, I would love to go back and just watch or whatever the analytics are of that, you know, pre and post that, uh, that little switch. And it, it's been lights out since then. And I think that's when Reister said, too, he's like, we played you twice since around that time he's even lights out and it was you know it, it, i think it really showed people that i could play big and that was one negative i had i'd always be small well okay so i there are about a million different threads like remember this is a goalie audience so this is not your typical <laughs> podcast you start throwing out things like high stance and play big yeah sorry. I, I, no no it's good i want details i want there's a million little threads here scott that i want to pull on um and, and one of them is that that high stance and the narrow shuffles uh, we've heard from a lot of guys game has changed like the game in front of you has changed east-west. Every team is trying to attack dynamically by making you move laterally. There are some goalie coaches that have always sort of encouraged multiple stance systems and the idea that when the play's on the perimeter or in early in rushes, we're, we've got narrow feet, which increases our mobility. We're high in that stance. We're seeing more guys shift to that, like as a trend. Um, you know, I can think of guys who had breakthroughs this year, not to the extent you did in the NHL level, but I look at a guy like Charlie Lindgren. Uh, we just had him on the podcast last week. One of the biggest things for him was 
not getting locked in low and wide and going to a high narrow stance and shuffling down the wing instead of you know retreating with a narrow with a wide glide. Um, Spencer Martin, similar in Vancouver, changing up his stance. Do those go hand in hand when you talk about narrowing and upright? Is that what you mean by play bigger? And can you walk me through the process of getting to that? Yeah, I think, you know, for me to kind of break it down would be a positive, but a negative for me was I was, I'm, I'm a, I, I would, you know, toot my own horn, I'm a very good skater. And I was a D man until I was 12 and I can, I can get as wide as possible and I can get out of it. And that was a negative because at any point in time, I felt stable and felt like I could move. And then there'd be the odd time where obviously you feel locked and you can't make a shot where you can't explode out. But, you know, 90% of the time I could get out of a wide stance, but I'd be obviously overextended and wide and there'd be holes. So it was kind of like my skating ability was almost a little bit of a negative because I can just get really aggressive, really wide and attack you. And, you know, I love the athletic Jonathan Quick style for so long. And you'd want to make every glove save be in your pocket. You want to make every blocker save off the middle of your hand. And it's impossible to do that with the way the guys shoot the puck and how quick everything is. So we ended up narrowing it out. And uh, I remember early days in my career in, uh, in Jersey with Marty uh, Martinberger and uh, Jock Scron. Uh, we do pretty much outside C cut. So you'd like rotate your left foot and you bring your right foot over and you'd come down the line. And Marty always kind of said, he's like, listen, like I'd just force him downhill and I'd bring my back foot around the, the inside so he couldn't shoot back against me. So he's like, it's almost like I'm just turning kind of like a, I don't know, like an overclock or whatever. You bring your bottom foot over to the top and just force him downhill. And then I'd one knee and it was just, I'd always do those skating drills. You start on your left post, you'd get on your outside edge and you do a big, you know, open moon around the top of it. And you'd stop halfway back and forth and I can move in a hundred different ways. But now as, as I got even more narrow, I actually felt like I was lighter on my feet because there's not as much tension in your knee and as much tension in your ankles. You're actually pretty neutral. And then those small shuffles, like I used to watch Corpusello and I was like, how does this guy do a hundred shuffles? And like, I find his shuffle, it, it doesn't even look like he moves wider than his blade. And then you see, you know, Vazzy does a really big, you know, tight stance up high. He looks like he's six feet over the top of the net, let alone underneath it. Um, and then as you get in, he's post to post and wide. And it's, it's my best versus your best athleticism wise. And you start looking at it and watching more videos. And then I just kind of went, okay, let's go narrow. And, you know, two shuffles gets me across my net. Um, one shuffle, I can probably cover three quarters of it. I really gave it all. And then anything pretty much outside, you know, your shoulders and on top of the circle to circle pass was a T push. And it's just like, you know, when you think about the game, you know, you got cross and drops, you got drive down the wall, hit the same side. There's only two on ones that really make you go past, you know, halfway of your net. So it's like, why am I four feet wide? And then we just kind of went through it and it just worked and I didn't move at all. And then you don't push yourself out of an angle and I just started getting hit more and moving less. It just, I don't know, it all kind of just came into like one big picture and it felt right, which is nice because sometimes you change things, it doesn't feel right. And that one felt right. Energy conservation too. You talk about feeling lighter on your feet. I mean, you mentioned the tension when you get locked in low and wide, as much as you, sounds like you got away with it because you were able to move out of it to an extent earlier in your career. There's a lot of wear and tear there, right? When you're dug in, I mean, I know goalie coaches that'll say tension is the enemy of goaltending. As soon as we're into that sort of spring-loaded save stance, that's a lot of tension. You got to disengage it to move east-west versus a shuffle where you're, like you said, almost light on your feet. Yeah, and I'm gliding. Like I used to be, forget, I'm terrible with fractions. I think I used to be at three eights, like super sharp and wide. Right. Now I'm 
three quarters. Like I'm not, I don't even think my shit skates are sharp and I'm just floating. And it's, it, it's, I don't know. I think that's like eight, six fractions down from what it was. That's just, yeah, it's, that's a couple steps on the old sharpening machine for sure. It might even be three. Yeah. I remember I used to in Plymouth. I remember one time I tried to do like that uh, inside edge cut. So even more inside, no outside and just like you over grab and all the tension you can possibly have on your knees. Um, so yeah, there's been a few, uh, a few tests in the laboratory, but uh, now it's been pretty, pretty steady for the last couple of years. The old Lundquist inside edge high. Hey, not like so, there's still some guys that use it, but like I, I'm with you. It, it feels like you're just sitting on those edges all the time. I, I don't think you'd even be able to shuffle out of that. Probably not. It's a, it's a slide. It has to be a slide. Is that something that's changed too? Like in terms of as you narrow up, are you able to make more of those controlled pushes upright skates underneath you and sliding a little less until like, I guess there's still situations when you have to, because I, I pulled some clips as well. And obviously there's always times where you still have to slide and you ha- clearly have that ability to not just slide, but generate power from extended positions. But do you feel like you have to do it less because of the way you're setting yourself up? Yeah, I almost, you know, changed the word, but it's a little bit more of a shift now. Like it's almost, you know, kind of like that, you you got a guy in your top left point shooting bottom right and he's looking for a tip instead of it being a you know, overextended to your glove side, trying to shoot across your net to get to that other side shot through a screen. It's almost just you're higher. So you're looking over his shoulder and then it's just a, you know, a shift slide into that coverage where before I'd fly across and get tip and hit your pad and the rebound, you'd you'd fly back across and that'd be nowhere near it. Now it's a, a gentle shift. And then another thing that's come with it all is more balance. Like I don't, I don't find that, you know, obviously you'll be, I'll be on my butt a little bit just cause I like the battle, but I find that, you know, I'm not very far lean forward. I'm not scrambling out of situations. It's, you know, adjust, get down and your, you know, center of gravity is under you a lot more cause you're not overly extended, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I've honestly really liked it. And obviously sounds like it's a pretty common trade and the way the guys move the puck so much now you have to have your feet feet's your best friend nowadays and if you don't have them it, it makes the game a lot tougher well it sounds like there's an element to control that comes with it like you, like i said everybody ends up in goalie nine one one mode as you said you got a battle at some point sometimes it's you versus me athleticism but it sounds like the points at which you have to enter that are later and later in sequences perhaps yeah and that's the tough part is you know the guy's shooting for pad and you got to get out, get across and tighten up and close. I mean, it's, it's become a lot more trail leg than it is lead leg. You know, you almost in that shift, as far as you want to go is how hard you bring your back foot in. So if I, you know, if I shift and I snap my back leg, that's my momentum instead of the power really out because that power down has now been already kind of adjusted for shift. And then if I snap in, I tighten up sooner and then everything's back underneath me. And then you don't lose balance where if you kind of leave it out behind you, it's like when you're growing up, you know, that you, you work on your T-push all the time and everyone would take that really long T-push, but then when they go to bring that back leg in, they didn't actually push and pull. They just pushed and then they're just dragging it and it's so hard to get that foot back underneath you. But if you take a shorter push and snap it in, you actually propel yourself a little bit further. I love the stuff from Berdur about downhill. We've heard that as, as guys move to shuffle, same kind of idea. Instead of flowing straight back and losing angle as a play comes down the wing, just sort of... When you shuffle, you're able to sort of continuously square up as a play comes down the wing. And, and I've heard other coaches talk about that too. I get forcing guys downhill into bad angles. And it's easy. If you're staying square throughout, you're not vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing Rogalski brought in. I actually think he sent me one of your articles. I think it might have been Jake Allen about cutting the ice in half, if I remember correctly. 
Um, oh, oh, we're, we're going to have to clip that one for an in-goal mag plug, 100%. I love it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was very, it's just another person that said it in a different way, but it's pretty much just, you know, you cut middle of the ice in half, you bring your outside shoulder forward, and you just bring them downhill. And that's exactly what Marty was saying, but the older way was you weren't doing as many butterflies, so you'd be doing that outside roll. And, um, I mean, it's the same thing in concept-wise, just done a little differently now. But yeah, I mean, that was another thing. Bring your shoulder across and anything that went back underneath, you pretty much just took your outside shoulder, which was forward underneath the puck. And then you met at your post and you meet the puck. So it was really just squaring up as early as possible. And the way you know guys get the puck off so fast, if you're not, you know, meaning it back at your post and you're trying to come laterally at it, it's, pa- it's past you before you're even there. And guys that would retreat in straight lines, lose angle and get flat. I mean, we see, we saw that get exposed. So that, that trend, I, you know, I think that's, that's trend that probably had to come back into the game that forcing guys downhill and staying square. Especially the way that they can, you know, they can release it in so many different spots. Now you got guys that drag and pull, you got guys that can pull it from it. Like Matthews is pull inside. You know, he can put that from outside your glove shoulder to inside your blocker shoulder and a pull. And if you don't move, he puts it where you weren't. And if you do move, he puts it where you were. So it's, it's just kind of, he's got, you know, the best of both worlds there. Uh, you mentioned 60-40. That was another thread I wanted to sort of pull on. Marty was sort of, I think we think of Marty as the last guy to maybe be baiting shooters, uh, although we've had Ryan Miller on and talking a little bit about that. Are you picking a side and sort of setting them up? Are, are you, do, you, do you consciously favor a side at times where it's like, I've got this and, and I know that my push is going to be to this side because that's what they're seeing? Or because some guys want to play everything neutral, everything in the middle. But other guys, a little bit of different. I'm honestly, I kind of take it as it is. Like I take it, you know, straight on. But I think the angles almost have helped me play the 60-40. So Clemenson and Johan Hedberg, actually, when I was in Jersey there with them, Clemmer uh, came down. I got, I think I got scored on in like a one knee down situation, and I was all upset about him. Like, you know, do I go reverse there? Do I do this? And it was just kind of like analytically trying to figure out how do I beat that. And he's like, listen, you've done it nine out of ten times. Like, if you lose once, you tip your hat. Like, why change it? And then, you know, Hedberg, he was my, Clemson was my partner at the time, and Hedberg was the goalie coach. He kind of came down and he listened, like, if you play 60-40, you got D-man on the inside, and you kind of take over that short side, you're forcing him to now go through traffic, make a perfect shot, and beat you, you know, if he's coming down glove wing, if he's going to beat you high blocker, one, he's got to go inside the D-man to make that shot, so he's now coming more into stick traffic and people traffic. So it's really like, if you have that short side covered, and you don't have to really move, you just kind of got to get hit. You're really taking the thought process. I was, if he goes blocker, do I have to move and where am I moving? So that's kind of the only really time I take it 60 40. Um, you know, straight downhill. I think a lot of times when pucks go east west, I've been working a little bit, trying on looking at numbers that a lot of the time it comes back to the same side it came from. Um, that's been a big trend. And then just kind of staying underneath passes um, has been one thing that's kind of come into it too just to give yourself more time and force them where you're going. Cause if you overcommit coming back, is so hard. Stay, can you just for, for, for somebody who might not, cause there, that's the one thing. And I, and Clemmer is a guy that I credit with this. The first time I heard it, when he went into a directing role with the devils building, his idea was right at the beginning. He wanted to build a glossary so that everybody, when, when they said something, cause there's so many coaches, I mean, even reverse, right? Like it's the reverse to some it's RVH to others, like building a glossary. So when you say staying underneath the pass, there's probably a lot of young goalies that like, I guarantee you right now, we have a lot of parents and goalies that listen to this on the way to the rink, especially as hockey's heating up. You're going to have a lot of young goalies. They're also going to, they're going to be like Googling, stay underneath the pass, right? So can you give us what, what that means to you when you talk about going east, west and staying underneath the pass? 
So pretty much, uh, I guess the best way to put it, if you're coming down my glove side, which is my left, and I'm backing into my net and someone makes a pass from my glove side across my body to my blocker, as I'm T-pushing from left to right, if I overcommit to whatever side his stick on, so say he's a righty for this thing, so he's in a one-timer position. If I go pretty much to center mass, so middle of my chest is middle of his stick, he's now has the ability to beat me back to the side I just came from. Just because now as that pass is coming there, it's, it's easier for him to go back. A lot of guys can get that puck to short side, but it's just easier the way your hips move, the way your body turns to kind of come back against the grain. So staying underneath it, I call it, we call it lead leg. So instead of the center mass of my body coming to his as a righty um, to the stick, I pretty much put either, you know, outside your right shoulder down to the right kneecap on puck, which now if I'm moving from left to right, it's a lot easier for me to then to extend to my blocker side. And it also makes it harder for him to go back against me. So to make him make a shot, you're one then almost playing it. You're not playing at 60-40, but in your mind, you're taking away the ability to react back to your glove side. So now you can be hit there. If he goes the way you're going, it's a, it's a lot easier to move down to my blocker than it is to go on past the point of middle and then obviously make a save back to my glove because all my momentum is then out to my right side. So it's pretty much just stay underneath where it's like if I stopped and he caught it, then I start shuffling and then you're in the same position as bringing him downhill. So it's just being a little bit behind the play to then take away their options and minimize the thought process you have to go of where he can go. Because if you play him middle, he's got both sides. If you play underneath it, he still has both sides, but it's a lot easier for you to then anticipate the one way. How much of that is recognition? And we've heard this through our pro reads. I think we're 150 deep with different NHL guys reviewing video with us. And the one thing I hear a lot more of um, from the guys who think the game at the level you do, and obviously everybody's different in terms of how much they analyze it, but that tendency is to go back against the grain there. Like you said, hips, hands, everything. I've had a lot of guys talk about like, hey, like when I'm moving in that direction for that shooter, short side is not the natural tendency. It's to go back the other way um, with the shot, depending a little bit on handedness. How much of that are you, is that ex- just experience and sort of becomes ingrained? You mentioned studying it a little bit. Are you looking at analytics and trends when you're making not decisions like that, but when you're analyzing how, I guess, not decisions in the moment, but how you're going to play it in general? Yeah, I think, you know, and I, we say it, but at the same time, you know, same as us, the NHL shooters can do whatever they want. I mean, right. that guy, he can catch it, you know, Ovechkin, whoever, give the puck to anybody. I'm sure they can catch the puck one timer and put it short side. It's just, it's a little bit harder to do. Right. So as you're training, it's just more like, okay, if I can then in a game, like we just said, minimize the amount of thought process I have to take, it's easier on me. So that's more of where I go with it. I'm not like, okay, this guy's a righty, has to go back to the glove side or he's got to catch and release. I mean, you can put a puck off someone's front foot and they get it off and that can, it's not as hard, but they can get it anywhere they want to go. Right. I think when you're coming down to a post on that, so it's like a you know high to low pass, kind of top of the circle to the dot on the other side, they can, the short side, the middle of the net. So they're just getting it past you as quick as they can. So it's all, you know, taken with a grain of salt, but at the same time, it's also then if you play it that way, you're just setting yourself up for a little bit more consistency and what you're going to expect. So it's not as much as like a guy's coming down. It's like, okay, it's a two on one. He's a righty. If they pass, he's going middle and that back. It's more just play it underneath. And that's the best opportunity that I have. So that's the way I kind of use it as best as I can. It's not like, oh, he's a righty. So I'm catching this high glove because at any point in time, he turns that over and it's low blocker posting in and you can't stop it if you even tried. 
So it's, uh, it's just more of a training technique and more of a thought process to make that push end in the right spot. And, and like you said, the game's way too dynamic to know exactly what's coming, right? You're just setting yourself up to be in the optimal spot for whatever does come. And, yeah. un- and understanding trends and tendencies of what might be more likely to come. But if, I- I'm guessing in shootouts too, you might be a guy that studies tape, but like we have a lot of guys that'll say, man, I, like I want to know certain moves, but man, if I'm sitting on it, I'm in trouble. Because if, yeah. if he delivers something else, oh boy. That's the hardest part is you get a guy, you know, I used to you know, mess around with guys in practice and give them glove, like play that 60-40 glove all the time. I love my glove hand. And, you know, I remember a guy used to come down in Albany and same thing. He's like, dude, if you're going to do that, I'm going to put one right in your ear on your blocker side because he's like, I got nowhere to shoot. And then you obviously are just baiting me. And it's a, it's a piss off to him. But then it's a piss off to me when you rip it out my face. So it's like, I'm trying to have some fun. And I know that you like to go high gloves. So I'm just, you know, it's, you know, we're playing a game here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, same thing. If you used to, I, those guys would come down, I'm like, all right, he's going glove, he's going glove, he's shoot blocker, and I'm frozen. Like you could score on me a million times in a row, and I just I think you're going glove. So it's hard not to think in advance of what they're going to do because then it's already like, well, now it's not, you know, call it dumb mind or blank mind or whatever you want to call it, but it's just like you're, once you anticipate, that's when it starts leaking. You know, you, you go for always going high glove, and then he goes low low glove inside your toe, your pads on the ice, and it's three. It's the worst goal you've ever given up in your career. But it's just, you know, it's like he fanned on it or whatever. He wanted to go high glove. He didn't get there, and it's in the back of my net. It happens all the time. Still happens today in practice. Guy didn't didn't get enough of it, and it went right through my right through my ankle. And it's just like, oh my god. Is there anything worse than the miss? I, I, I like it when shooters admit it post game because it my job now NHL.com into the post game every once in a while. I, I had one this year with like I think it was on Demko and it was Matthew it was Matthew Kachuk and he kind of admitted that he missed it, which I think and then going back into the other side and sort of sharing it's like yeah I knew it but I didn't want to say it right like don't you hate it when guys miss and it goes in? Oh, well, that's just like I mean the hardest one for me is the uh, you know two on one back into like your blocker side hip. And you come over and you read and, you know, like high release and he knuckleballs it. And the glove, you can obviously freehand make up for a lot of the, the off-speed stuff. But a blocker is so hard to seal that elbow. And you get a knuckleball on a two-on-one backdoor. You overextend, you front your blocker and he knuckles it back through your hip. And you're just like, and then they celebrate in the corner like, what a goal. And I just want to fight people. Like, <laughs> well, if you did what you're supposed to do, half like if anyone at any point in time did what they're supposed to do in the mental mind of reading the game. I'd be a Hall of Famer already, but uh, it's it's not that easy. That's it's worse when they sell it like it was exactly what they meant to do, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, pretty broken in the corner, and you're celebrating that goal. I love it. That's why I like the guys that at least admit it afterwards. Hey, I missed. I got lucky, right? Like a little honesty, we'll take it. But to them, it's the same thing, right? It's like us just getting there and get hit. Them, it's just just get contact, and half the time it's get it on and off your stick. They say it all the time. It's just get contact and we pursue and, and anticipate stuff. They just get it off as fast as they can. It's hard for us to seal up. Same thing on the other side, right? They catch and hold that. I get to my spot. I seal. I don't have to overextend and it hits me. So it's just, it's a constant battle of, you know, who's there first. So many different names you brought up already, guys you played with, guys that you've uh, had as goalie coaches, names that we're really familiar with. Uh, Dave Rogalski, a guy we're big fans with uh, before he even got into first the American League and then the NHL. Uh, we've worked with Franjean, done stuff with him both privately and and at Hockey Canada. Obviously, we know Reeser really well. Kind of probably hard to ask you to pick like of all these names and all these guys you've worked with over the years. Johan Hedberg, another one of my favorites, right back to his playing days. Um, mm-hmm. and, and ask for what you took from each. 
I guess maybe a different question would be as you move around, how do you find, how did you find that line? We kind of mentioned it earlier, but I didn't ask the question very well. How do you find that line as you go to each new guy with, you know, okay, I want to please him. I want to try new things, but this is my foundation. This is what I believe in. Uh, Corey Schwab as well, just another name that, you know, obviously had a big impact on you. Yeah, it's it's hard to kind of actually think about, you know, what I go in with. I'm a very outgoing person. I love to talk. I mean, as you can tell, I'll ramble for a very long time so we can make this as long as we want. Perfect. <laughs> but I think that, you know, to an extent, I think earlier on in my career, I almost locked myself into trouble a little bit because then I'd overanalyze and over talk things through. And I understood that as I, as I started going, it was like, okay, like shut up and listen at the odd time because as I'd go, I'd try and do, okay, well, this happened. I read this, it hit a stick, you know, went five hole. But if I did this, did that, you know, it's through 10 things in the air and they're all of a sudden they're, they're blanking and being like, well, this kid, not that I'm uncoachable. It's just, it's a lot. And in my mind, it was like, well, it's pretty simple. I just came across and I it hit a stick and I read something differently and went in, but I threw 20 more words onto it. And I found that early on in my career, I would kind of talk, not into trouble, but just, you know, almost into headspace kind of game where it felt very different coming out of my mouth than what they heard. So, you know, as I went into different coaches, it was okay, kind of just like, all right, like, what are you looking for? What do you want? And we'd have that earlier conversation. I find it, you know, obviously easier than NHL level because those guys have been there a long time and done it. But my first time around with, with Corey Schwab, when he came up, it was just kind of like, all right, like, what do you, what do you like? This is my warm-up routine. We'll go over video. What I see is what I'll tell you. And if we like something or we don't, we'll work on it. And that was just like the easiest kind of switch. Um, you know, then when I went to Tampa with Franz John, he had a pretty much a playbook he sent me. It was like, this is the pucks here. We're in this position over there. And I never had that. And that was something where his, his work, I think, and Vazzy's a robot, so it's hard to keep up with, but, you know, getting into camp there and, you know, even McElhinney, McElhinney was buzzing around the net and, you know, kind of went up and he's listening, like, you're trying to take these guys jobs. So if you want to take their job, you have to do this better. And that was like the first time where it was like, you know, I have the talent, I have the skill, I, you know, not in a cocky way, but just, you, you know, at that point you do. And it was like kind of that first time I was like, listen, why is, you know, Mac Lenny, I think he was 33, 34 at the time. Why is he outlasting you in this drill? And in my mind, I was like, well, I just, I'm working hard. Like there's, there's no lack of will or lack of care, but it was just like, there's another step that has to be taken for me to get there. And that year with Franz, I think overall was the biggest kind of just like wake up fire under you. And we're, we're not making mistakes. We're doing everything as fast as we can, as perfect as we can. And that playbook was like, I have, now there's no room for thinking. It wasn't that I was an overthinker. It was more just, I wanted to have every tool in the toolbox. And then that game plan kind of shrunk it. And then when I moved on, I went back to Corey Schwab after I had bounced around a little bit and same thing, we just, you know, changed one thing. The work ethic was always there. And, you know, and then you kind of figure what works and then coming to research, I was like, listen, like, I don't really want to change much. I like what you're doing. We just got to keep doing it consistently, feel good about what we're doing and trust it. And, you know, since kind of those few steps have been taken, everything's kind of come full circle. And now it's like work out as high as possible. We're doing everything at the fastest speed, most consistent as we can, clean as we can, and give them our team a chance to win. And it was just kind of like, you know, early on in my career, it's like, how can I get better? Can I make this safe five different ways? Which one's the best? And it just kind of all shrunk and came into a little pocketbook with, you know, five pages instead of 500. So it sounds like, I mean, you still have all the tools. Yeah. Franz just simplified when you use them and, and, and for lack of a better term, like you said, just gave you a game plan that, that reduced the thinking about when to use each tool and how to use each tool. I find that's been the biggest thing over the course of the career as you, you know, longevity's come in and playing longer. It's, it's not what you can do. It's how good you can do something consistently. 
Because it's like I can go full splits and make a 10 bell glove save twice a game, or you can make 14 sliding glove saves that don't even see a, a highlight reel or a octave in your broadcaster's voice, but you don't get scored on two of the four times that other one does, but you get to, oh my God, you know, put it on TSN kind of reaction. And, um, you know, I find that I make a lot of, in my own opinion, a lot of hard saves look easy now from when they used to be really hard. And I find that's more of a note to my own skill level than it is the, the 10 beller. It's more of, I, that was a hard play and I made it look easy. I'm on. And that's, you know, that's more of a confident builder than anything else. I think I might know the answer based on some of your earlier questions, but growing up, you, you said you were a D-man until you were 12. Um, so first part is actually, do you feel like that helped? Like you're skating, you mentioned how well you skate. Um, your yeah. movement is exceptional. Reading the game too? Like like playing defense longer at a time when goalies are goalies at the age of seven now, it seems. Seeing the other side of the puck, do you think there was an advantage of that all the way up to 12? Because you know, guys like Holtby have talked about that with us. Like that they feel that was a big difference for them when they eventually became a full-time goalie. Yeah, the skating for sure. Uh, I just wish I could be a righty with my goalie stick. That's the only problem is I catch the net. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough power on the left hand shot. But um but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, obviously knowing what other people do and you know, I joke around all the time. It's like as every player, you're trying to score on me. So like I'm the best person to teach anything. And then knowing how to play and everything that I, I mean, I still as many times as I can a year, I'll, I'll take my gear off and take some, you know, second stick and someone's glove and I'll go shoot pucks every day if I could. And I'm like, I don't know, this is so much easier. And then you get the other side where it's so much easier to be a goalie from a player's perspective. But, uh, but no, I mean, just understanding, you know, what they're looking for, what they can see, um, you know, movement options. And I think the biggest thing too, is watching your own team break out. Like I, I'm, I'm a talker and what I see and help and maybe a couple times a year, I'll yell something and they'll see an option and they'll make a pass and you might get a, an opportunity or a power play out of it and come back to the bench and the D-man gives you a nod, like good call or whatever. And, you know, that's a satisfaction, satisfaction uh, point right there too, when you get that nod from your guys and just screaming stuff and, you know, back doors and things that it's just the awareness is so high. Um and then when you're working with guys, I mean, that's the funnest thing too, is when you're working on different situations with D-man, it's like, what do you like? And it's like, okay, well, whatever, we're in a two-on-one and teams plan strong side post or weak side post or whatever they want to play. It's like, as you bring them here, what do you like to do? Do you like to slide? Do you like to stay on your feet? Do you want one knee down? Like, I'm going to hold this. And then you get into an analytic thing where I can sit there and be, listen, as a D-man, like, blah, blah, blah. Does this work for you? No. Okay. Well, you like that. Well, I know what you're anticipating to do now because I've can see it and feel that as a D-man as well. So we'll play off each other. And then it's, it's, you know, it's almost just, you know, one in the same, you know, I know what he's doing. I know exactly when he's going to do it. So if that pass gets through, it's only getting through in one spot or however the case may be. And it's just fun to kind of, you know, bounce that off each other. And then obviously, you know, I tell them all the time, I'd have 40 points in any league right now, but <laughs> give me a year. <laughs> what about, and, I, and I started that question then just didn't finish it. You, you mentioned Jonathan Quick a few times. Who was your guy growing when you make when you make the switch to goalie? Who was the guy? Like was it was it Quickie the guy for you? Um, it was actually Marty because uh, I'm born in '92, so actually uh, I was. I'm a, a little guy. slow on the math there. I was trying to do it in my head. I'm thinking, oh, maybe that's a little early with Quickie. But um, no, I mean Felix Podman, the cat there in Toronto with his glove hand, Trevor Kidd, like that kind of stuff was always fun. It was always a ten bell saves and anything Don Cherry growing up, right? The rock and sock. I mean, before you go to hockey as a kid, that'd be the VHS tape you'd throw in and 
you know, I can still cite some of those lines like Curtis Joseph seeing more rubber than a dead skunk on a Trans Canada Highway. Like, felt like that a few times throughout my career. But um, yeah, you know, it was Marty. I actually, um, Patrick Aleem, whenever Ottawa played, I always just was a pest as a youngest in my family. So I'd always just choose whoever was playing against Toronto to annoy my brothers. And, uh, you know, he had uh, Marvin the Martian on his helmet. And I had that when I played for the Mississauga Senators. So that kind of Senator Link was there for a bit and watched that team. But yeah, it was mainly, mainly Broder. Um, and then obviously coming full circle to be on the ice with him for a few camps and a few years there when I was drafted in 2010. Um, you know, I, I still got the text saved from my first, uh, first career win in 16. He sent me a congratulation text and that's still, you know, un- undeleted in my, uh, my text from, you know, March of t- 2016. So, um, had to update the phone and it came with it. So that was a nice, uh, nice I was, was going to ask, are you still rocking a 2016 phone just to keep the Marty Brodeur text alive? No, I would be if Apple didn't keep upgrading things. I don't care for much new stuff, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's funny how it's just, everything's kind of calm, you know, from a kid, just fat kid playing road hockey to now being in the NHL and, and playing it's, it's still crazy. So what, like, how'd you end up in goal then? Like you're playing D, was it the younger brother thing? We hear so many of those stories. It's either gear and how cool it looks. I don't want to get off the ice and the goalie never has to leave. Or it's the youngest brother and to play with the older kids, he gets shoved in net. What, what's the origin story for Scott Wedgwood? Honestly, not really any of the above for oh. a long time. It was, um, I had two older brothers, so they would throw me in net and road hockey and I'd okay. hate it. I would never move. So it was just like, I just stood there and then my brothers would get annoyed. Like, well, I don't want to play in that kind of thing. And then I think my dad said at one point, it was like, well, if I'm just can't keep getting hit and hurt. I might as well try. And then it got to the point where they couldn't score. So then I wasn't allowed in that. And then uh, I think it was a summer. I was either 10 or 11. We had a three on three like league that we would play in. And our goalie went on a you know summer vacation kind of thing. And I begged my dad, he'd said for you know a little bit of time to, to try net. And he loved road hockey goalie, never played goalie. I always wanted to try it. So he said, whatever, we'll get him a set. And I went from AAA D-man that year, assistant captain to starting goalie in September. Wow. Next year, our coach uh, moved to the Toronto Young Nats and the coach came and I was unsure what I would do. So I signed a player and a goalie card and every other game I would switch. Um, did that for a full year. And then the next season at Christmas, goalie went on a vacation again. And when he came back, we had like five games without a practice. So he didn't play and he got upset and quit. And we didn't have another goalie, and I just I never put player gear back on. So a little bit of brother stuff, and then it was just I fell in love with it, wanted to try it, and I was good at it. And I mean, I still was kind of unsure for a bit there. And then I think right around 15, my coach was like, Listen, like, you know, next year's your draft year. And if you don't show up, we don't really have much of a chance to win. And it was like the first kind of time someone was like, You have a chance to do something here. And my brothers had played triple A, double A, bounced around, and I was kind of unsure, like. You know, I loved hockey and wanted to play in the NHL, but no idea how to go about it. How do you get drafted? Where do you go kind of thing? And then that year, it was kind of like agents approached. Um, coaches were like, hey, well, you can do something. Come play for our team. You know, we'll to cover your gear costs and all that stuff. And certainly you know, a lot of families not growing up. Hockey's expensive. And I was like, well, like, my dad was like, well, you kind of have to, if you want to keep going, we got to go somewhere. You need new gear that can help us out. Um, and then everything just kind of, it was almost like everyone else wanted to help me instead of, you know, me asking for it. It's like, Oh, you're good. Do it. Like come play for us. We'll help you with the gear and the tuition and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And then, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, down the line that need thanks. And I mean, there's a lot of those stories, but it, same thing, looking back on it, it was like, you know, if it wasn't for a lot of those people. I would have been lower leaves, lower costs, old gear and stuff like that. And you know, we got really lucky. Where's the, where's the gear fit in now? Is the gear a tool to trade? Like, 
not everybody has to be Ichiro Suzuki putting his, you know, wooden bats in cigar humidors to keep them at the right temperature in terms of, you know, the craftsmanship of our gear. But like, where is it for you? Do you, are, are you a gear geek at all? Or is it more just finding something that functions with your game? Have you tinkered over the years? Um, I was, I've tinkered in every day for a lot of years. Uh, when I was in Plymouth, goalie coach Stan McTwib always makes a joke. He's like, every day you come on the ice, you're like, somebody messed with this last night or this blocker or this toe tie or whatever. And he said he used to joke with the coaches, like, there's obviously going to be something today. What's it going to be? And and I didn't even think it more of a complaint. I was just like, well, if I can get more edge here, but less feeling there and all that kind of stuff, right, to give and a take. But uh, no, I think the biggest issue I had for a long time was just my knee block. I, I don't know if it was sizing or things, but just never landed comfortably in my knee block. Uh, messed around with a few different companies, found something that worked. And, you know, once they made that switch in the LDS and kind of analyzed it all, I've been pretty much the same. And then uh, the only change that's come as of recent years was uh, McElhinney getting me in the 580 in the bubble. I was a 590 guy for a long time and he gave me his 580 and I never dropped a puck for about three weeks. And I'm like, all right, well, this is it. I love uh, 580 making the comeback. Like, what do you, is it just, is it the feel on the hand? Is it the pocket location? What do you think it is? Cause it's been, it, it's something that's become increasingly popular at both the pro level and also at the amateur level. We're seeing it make a comeback and there's going to be some big news regarding the 580 and availability in the coming year as well. Little tease there. Really? Uh, I don't know. I just put it on. And then, I mean, I was always kind of fingers up in a 590 anyway. Um, but I love the only difference that I've had, I guess, a negative with is attacking low glove. Just because of the way the fingers up, you you front and palm it away. So it's harder to corral anything. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm a high glove as anybody else would be. And it just, it just funneled better um, than the 590 for me, the way I liked it. And I like to front it too. So I, I'd open it up, I'd front it you know, I'd play, play games and it just, everything just seemed to fall, fall and funnel into that pocket. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only other thing with it, it was just a bigger adjustment to play the puck. I find that the wrap with it is a little bit different than the 590 going over top. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that just, I would have never tried it if we weren't messing around one day after practice and he just said, try this and threw it on my hand and actually still have one of his from the bubble downstairs. I think I actually might've put a post on my dish just sold it actually to somebody. So. Um, it was the last item of his that I had, but, but yeah, it's funny. I just, you know, tried different things, but no, I've been in, in troop for a couple of years now and moved over to little fave stuff and they've been great to work with and things like that. So, you know, it's been a nice change. Well, you're back, uh, from the wedding and the honeymoon and right back on the ice. You told me what your calorie count in terms of how much you burned today was. Let's give a little love to the guys you're working with in the summer. Cause as much as you bounced around to different voices and taken different pieces from different guys over the years. Everybody's got to have an anchor, a foundation, guys they work with in the summer. You mentioned Stan Matwib, uh, who we know from Bandits, uh, obviously for years and years. Uh, I think AJ Walzak, if I got that right. Um, as, I probably well, might be, I don't even know. I'll have to double check with him on the pronunciation, but I call him Walchick, so. Okay, you're probably right. Give me, but just give me your, like, what does it look, what does August, late August look like for you in terms of making sure you're, at your best, like you said, the training camp with Tampa being so eye-opening, I'm imagining you want to make sure you're running close to peak when things open as opposed to the old days of getting there and figuring it out once you do. Yeah. Um, you know, Stan actually pretty much taught me goaltending when he got hired into Plymouth in 08 when I showed up. So, um, you know, I was just getting the way of the puck as a kid and be as athletic as possible. Went to a few John Elkin camps in uh, you know, the GTA there. He run the four sheets and things like that. And, um, you know, first goalie coach in a, in a you know, semi-pro setting there in the OHL. 
and just, you know, understanding when to check off and all that stuff kind of came into it in the early days and very fundamental. And, you know, he said, you got talent, but he's like, we got to figure out how to play goalie in, in the first set. So, you know, he's kind of built the foundation that I started from and going back to him, you know, the basics and, you know, head, hands, feet, just kind of tracking stuff has always been, you know, his mantra. And, um, you know, in, uh, early August, I guess, well, I came back at the end of, end of July there. So, We've been out probably twice a week. I got you know route anywhere from two to three other group skates or gym skates and things like that that I'll jump out for. And pretty much now we got you know Monday through Thursday. Um, and we'll go out a little bit early. I'll get the ice probably a half hour before. So Monday, Thursday, Stan comes out, and then uh, Tuesday, Friday are gym skates. And I probably don't go out on Wednesday, but it's an option. Just there's always somebody looking for a goalie, and I'm, I usually get the text for that and decide how the body feels. But, um, but yeah, and then, you know, throughout the summer, AJ's got a, a great setup over at Puckmasters and the ice is readily available. It's not as much of a booking issue as it is with uh, the full rink that we do sometimes. And that's just a great start in the summer. You get out there, you get your feet moving, you know, small stuff in and out of posts. Uh, that's very much where I learned the RVH reverse before I went to Tampa there with the, once I got Franz playbook, I, you know, I was like, all right, I got to get to somebody a little bit new, which was Manny and, uh, and AJ there. They worked with Bobrovsky and, Vlasileski and guys that were a little bit more uh, top tier in that situation. So followed that suit and I got a great relationship with those two guys. And I mean, I, I like to talk to different people. I mean, Rogalski will talk to me in the summer, just check in things like that. See how things are going. We had a great relationship. Brian Eklund, uh, he's down there in the AHL for, for Jersey. And you know, it's, uh, it's honestly awesome. Just all the people in the situations. I mean, Clemmer will call me once or twice a summer and, and have a conversation with him. Jacques Caron, I still probably talk to once a month as a, as a mentor situation. That guy, he deserves some sort of prize for just being the nicest planet, person on the planet. Um, you know, his name comes on my phone and I literally tell my wife after I talk to him, like, I honestly feel like someone just like put like, I, I ran over like a star in Mario Kart. Like, it's just, he, he's one of the nicest people and, you know, keeping in contact with him and everything that he's done. It's, it's, it's awesome how everyone's kind of, and they just help. That's the best part is it's no one's looking like, well, give me all your money or you want to work with me and charge you 10 times the regular amount. It's just, what do you need? How are you feeling? Congrats, you know, life stuff. It's, it's honestly very humbling and, and it's a lot of fun when you kind of have those connections. It sounds like you built a great network. Um, a lot of advice from a lot of different people over the year. And it sounds like you've really developed a nice ability to sort of know how to take everything. And as much as you're an analytical guy, it sounds like a big part of that is knowing when to analyze and when to just go out and play. And that's a process that not everybody, not everybody actually even ever gets there. No. And it's hard. It was uh, honestly early on in the career, it just definitely was a challenge. You know, I started actually working with my first mental coach this season, right around that December uh, game in Boston and I toot his horn, but things have changed. So, uh, you know, I was, I was always, you know, you get your, your anxiousness before a game, you know, I call it anxiety, anxious, whatever you want to do, like any, you know, pregame butterflies. Um, but, you know, he'd send some notes and we'd go over some things and different feelings. And I was always a realist, right? Like I never, I didn't know if it was a negative or positive, but, you know, we're up two one, three, three, one. We just hit a post. They come down and tie the game here. We're in a tighter game. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, they'd score. And I'd be like, huh, should I have thought about that? And it was just kind of like, I didn't think I didn't sit there and be like, oh, that was, you know, my Achilles heel. It was just kind of like, you know, you think about random things, right? And I'm just like, I'm a realist. That was a good point for us to kind of put the game away, right? It just as a hockey fan, which I am, that was a good part of the game to score another goal. Um, so I brought some stuff up to him and he would, you know, put in different things and just, you know, why are you thinking that in here and what would you rather think about and situations? And then all of a sudden you're kind of like, okay, like, you know, it's not a negative, but it just, it's also not a positive. It's just, 
it's sitting there. So let's, you know, retrain what the thought process and stay, stay a little more dialed in in situations when you're a little bit bored, find some things to kind of keep yourself busy and what are you looking to do? And, you know, I've obviously, like I said earlier on in the talk, I'd like to go back and see uh, how the numbers have changed and how my consistency has changed just with that little tweak. And, you know, he's a, he's been a big part of just the kind of the mind comment now. And as you can tell, I'm a rambler a talker. So you can see how the game's been turned. One of the things that you know, we, we did some stuff with John Stevenson, um, did some, some webinars with him. And one of the things that he said, was, which was pretty eye-opening for us, obviously probably most famous for working with Braden Holby, but a number of other guys is, you know, everybody's focus drifts. It's a matter of recognizing when and, and the skill is pulling it back, not to never let it drift because that's impossible. Even the best let it drift. So it sounds like you've found a way to sort of recognize that maybe some of those moments, which you know, maybe they were harmless at times, but they are a sign of focus drifting. And I'm guessing you probably found some tools to help bring you back. Yeah. Um, and that was just kind of a thing. You know, I sat there one night and I, was, I brought it up to just my wife as I was talking. Listen, like, I don't feel like I'm mentally weak in any situation. I don't want to feel, and I, and I think that's the hard thing that a lot of people kind of come to terms with. It's you don't want to say you have a problem. And that's not the way I looked at it. It was like, I, like anyone says, you know, and then kind of the broader term is you train your body, you want to train your mind. It was one of those situations where I was like, listen, like, you know, we haven't been stuck yet. I've been in the NHL. I've played, I've done a lot of things, you know, let's go down a different path here. And, and I say, I can play four more years. I do the same thing up and down, up and down, up and down. Like, do I have a regret that I didn't call a mental coach and have a conversation? Probably. And that was like the real kind of, you know, look yourself in the mirror, have a conversation. Are you leaving something untapped kind of thing? So I called around. Um, I actually went through Carter Hutton to meet the guy um, when I was in Arizona there. And he had a guy and I was just like, okay, like give him a call, sat down and immediately in a 10 minute conversation, I was like, same thing as Jacques Cron. I feel super happy. I feel you know confident in who I am, what I'm doing. Not even just hockey. We talk about you know being a being a husband and being you know a parent to my dogs. Not even just I don't even have any kids, but just like you know your daily life. Like what do you feel good about? What you know what are these things? And that, in just a sense, you know, I walk same thing. I walk out of that conversation and be like, you know what, this is what he told me, and I actually resonated with this and that not so much and this and talking to my wife about it and kind of analyze the different things. And I was like, okay, like I'll call him back, and then we, you know, we set up some times before games and stuff and couple minutes. Hey, how we feeling? What's the thought process? What are we focused on today? Send over a little, um, you know, picture of a, of analysis thing. And it, it actually, you know, give him credit. It actually was a big change. And I give myself credit just to, to answering that question. And that was one of the hard things. It's like, I don't have a problem. I'm not mentally weak. I don't need to call somebody, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you do all this stuff and you train your whole life to, you know, win a Stanley cup and be as best as you can be, regardless if you're a hall of Famer or not. I want to be the best person in the room every day. There's something you're leaving on tap there. And I think if I didn't do it, I would have regret at the end of my career. Off ice, on ice, it's tools in the toolbox, right? If you don't explore them, you never know if you were missing out. Exactly. And that, that's that's kind of another point where as you grow up, you're like, it's not it's not a negative. It's not, you know, weakness. It's none of that. But as a kid, you're like, oh, I need a, you know, I need a therapist or whatever it is. And like now, you know, talking to friends, just daily stuff, they see one and stuff. I'm like, oh, good for you. Like, what are you talking about? And like now it's, a, it's an adult conversation. I think that's something where they talk about goalies coming into their prime and getting, you know, that 28 to 30 years. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, you know, honest opinion. It's, it's a hard job to do. And you get a lot of people telling you, you suck throw the rink every day. It's, it's hard to block that out. You should try it in beer league where you come into the locker room after and your teammates say you suck. That's even tougher. Let me tell you. 
Hey, listen, when we talk about conversations running over stars in Mario Kart and feeling great, like you ran over a star, this is going to be near the top of the list for the Ingle Radio podcast. This has been a fantastic conversation, Scott. I, I, I can't believe it took me this long to have it. I thank you so much for spending so much time. And I know there are going to be a ton of young goalies, many of them driving to the rink with their parents that are listening to this. Given the length, it might take the drive there and the drive back to get through <laughs> the whole thing. But I guarantee as soon as they get off the ice, they're going to want to finish it because there are so many great takeaways. And I can't thank you enough for not just, not just taking the time, but for being so open and, and genuine and honest and sharing so many details, both on the ice and off the ice. It's sincerely appreciated. And I know our audience is going to appreciate it as well. Yeah, I hope they like it. I mean, obviously, if you get any questions and anyone wants to ask me stuff, I'm, I'm open to on the other end of it. So well, hopefully we can do it again. I don't know what else I can tell you as I've told you my life story, but we'll try. We can always find, hey, the game is always evolving. There'll be something else that clicks this year. Uh, and we'll look forward to catching up both at the rink when the stars come through town in Vancouver, where we got to meet this time. Thank goodness we're allowed to be down in that area as reporters now. Uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to catching up the next time you're in town. Awesome. Thanks, Kev. Did that not just feel like seven minutes? Really? And, and, and I took notes again as we listened to it. And that was the third time that I listened to the Scott Wedgwood conversation. And I've got uh, notes upon notes upon notes. Uh, that, was, that was really cool, uh, Woody. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we finally got him. We, it took a little while this summer. It's funny because I was bugging him and trying to get him on. And, and I didn't realize he was about to get married. I knew he had a, he said he had a lot going on. There was a move. And then when I saw on Instagram that he was prepping for a wedding, I figured I better just leave this alone and we'll get back to him a little later on. So yeah, so glad we able, we were able to make it happen before the season started because uh, he gave us so much time and a special treat, folks. If you thought you enjoyed listening to hear listening to Scott with his technical and tactical breakdowns on what changed, guess what? After we were done the podcast, he stuck around for another thirty five minutes and did pro reads video with me. So this week's pro reads will feature Scott Wedgwood sharing some of that same detailed, analytical, as he said, sort of precise attention to detail in his save selections as he watches video with us and breaks down his saves. Pro Reads, there's nothing else like it anywhere else. You can get it at ingoldmag.com, exclusive to premium members. And if you enjoyed that podcast, you're going to want to hear how Scott Wedgwood reads a play as the puck moves around the zone, why he makes the decision he makes, when he holds his edges, when he goes into a slide. A lot of the philosophies he talked about, about you know not trying to simplify things, the movement patterns, uh, narrower stance, not sliding as hard into plays, um, just you know making guys hit him and beat you know competing one on one, beat him, beat around me. Um, a lot of those elements end up right in the pro reads right out of the gate. So we've got five different save clips we're going to break down with Scott Wedgwood, and the first one rolls out this week at IngleMag.com. I'm excited. Sixty forty, like that. That was something that uh, that kind of jumped out at me. And uh, maybe not for you guys, but uh, I look at it uh, a little more. Uh, basic but that 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 was a term that i haven't really heard a lot a little bit of a cheat right like like you could call it cheating like he's basically hedging to one side either based on sort of expecting a play based on everything that sets it up to go that way or wanting it to go that way and again right into that first pro reads uh he doesn't use 60 40 but he talks about you know maybe an example of it so all these details come out in the pro reads. Make sure you do you uh, check them out at ingoldmag.com this weekend in the coming months. 
Uh, we've got some some great new guests lined up for that. Obviously, Scott's there. We got some fresh stuff with James Reimer. I uh, got Charlie Lindgren set up to do some pro reads with us here in the next week. So lots of these names that you've been hearing on the Ingle Radio podcast, you will also see featured on pro reads. It's funny. I was looking back. We talked about Carrie earlier. I was looking back at some of the early Carrie Price pro, pro reads. And, and I think we're going to pull some more tidbits out of those because it just it's been a couple of years now. And they still blow my mind, the amount of detail that these guys pick out of the, ga- out of the game when they're making these decisions in real time. And, and Scott's right up there with Kerry in terms of just how much attention to detail. When he looks off the puck, when he gets that, that scan up ice, just great details in these pro reads this week. You've got some numbers as well. Well, he talked about it. Now, he had the date wrong. The Boston game wasn't December 20th. It was actually January 28th. Um, and after that game, so that's sort of when he started to make those narrow, narrowing and simplifying changes with Corey Schwab, another, another one of our favorites here at InGoal Magazine and InGoal Media. Um, after January 28th, to the end of the season, after that Boston game he referenced, his adjusted save percentage, according to ClearSight Analytics, plus 1.6%. Out of the 59 goalies to see 250 shots in that period, he was seventh. If you sort of narrow the field down to goalies who played at least as much as Scott did, he had a little little under 600 shots, so I filtered for 500 shots. There are only two goalies in the National Hockey League that had better numbers after Scott Wedgwood made that adjustment in his game to the end of the season. January 28th to May 1st, the only two goalies with better adjusted numbers than Scott Wedgwood for 500 plus shots, Igor Shishterkin and Ilya Sorokin. So some pretty good company that Scott Wedgwood finds himself in after making that adjustment. And as you said, a real credit to him at that stage, being willing to listen and try something different and work with his goalie coach and Corey Schwab, uh, identify something and attack it in a different manner. Scott, as he talked about, bounced around a lot, a lot of different voices, a lot of different ideas. You can start to chase change um, and sometimes you can maybe say, Hey, listen, the way I'm, especially on a team that's given up as much as Arizona did, like you could, you could, it would be easy to say, Hey, I, I trust the way I'm doing things. I don't need to change anything. Uh, but he was willing to, you know, more than halfway through the season, make an adjustment and it paid massive dividends. And I look forward to watching, uh, it continue to pay off for both him and the Dallas stars working with Jeff Reese in Dallas moving forward. Uh, Hutch, interesting. Like you're just being a little narrower and, and then it, just goes from there. So a, a little tweak and make makes such a huge difference. Yeah, sure can. Big big trend in the game now, of course, is that narrowing of the stance. And I just think the hard numbers are wonderful to see, Woody. And it's great, uh, great advice for all the goaltenders out there. Because how many people are going to be working with a new goaltending coach this fall? You've moved up a level. You've moved to a different organization. You're with a different team, and now you're working with a different goalie coach. Uh, have an open mind and be prepared to listen and be prepared to make some changes uh, to your game because even the best in the world, uh, whether it's Scott Wedgwood here or some of the great stuff we learned up at Net360 this summer, um, even the best in the world have open minds and they're willing to make tweaks to their game to try and become better. And uh, the goaltending coaches out there working with you, uh, they've got your best interests at heart and give it a try. You know, one of the things I say to guys in practice all the time, boys, it's only practice. Doesn't matter if the puck goes in the net. So why wouldn't you give this a try? We talked about holding your edges and 
so many kids just want to get to their knees as quick as possible. Well, this is the way I've always done it. This is what I do. Okay, but it's practice. Let's give it a shot. Who cares if the puck goes in the net? Nobody's counting. There's no scouts up in the stands. So let's give this a go and see what happens. Push the boundaries. So, uh, yeah, I love hearing all this stuff, and I hope that people take it to heart and try and apply some of it to their games this year, including both you guys and your practices. Uh, yeah, I, I try and stay on my edges all the time. Like, never <laughs> yeah. go down. Well, because then you have to get up. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. They got to bring out the crane, and it's, it stops practice. It's, it's really disruptive. I listen, I, I already try like having watched Ian Clark and Thatcher Demko and the sort of track downs, you know, like Scott talked about, sort of like pushing a guy downhill and and using shuffles down the wall and staying square rather than drifting. Um, and I and I like I, I feel better about my game when I when I'm able to do it. I feel like if you were watching it, I would be the slow motion how-to video compared to the full speed one of the NHL guys, because my shuffles aren't quite as crisp, clean, or as quick as them but honestly like it is amazing even at my crappy beer league level how a little change like that we've talked about it stance setup fuels every movement you make and making some of those changes make a massive difference and interestingly enough uh you know again to tzngoldmag.com we're just working on an article right now with richard bachman goalie coach, uh, goalie development coach with the Minnesota Wild. He was up in Kelowna with us in Net360. This is actually just a warm-up skating drill he did with Hutchison, Matthew Hutchison. um, And again, the simple footwork. And there was one little change he made in the footwork in terms of where you place your inside skate relative to the goal line when the play gets down into a dead angle and there's no shot threat and how that sets up different movement. That again is one of those tiny little things that a lot of people don't think of. But then when you hear it, it's like, oh my God, it fuels my next movement so much better. Why wasn't I doing this all along? So keep an eye out for that at ingoldmag.com. And just, you know, part of this conversation that we're continuing, uh, it's amazing to me some of these things that we get to see at the NHL level. And, you know, even for a guy like Scott Wedgwood, like we we heard this from Charlie Lindgren. We heard it. We've seen it with Spencer Martin and a guy like Scott Wedgwood nine years into his pro career. And it's sort of introduced as something different or new, right? Like it's, these are the kind of things that, they may seem small, but they can make a massive difference in your game. And we do our best to bring them to you every week from pro eyes with pro voices at ingolmag.com. Will you share those numbers with Wedgwood? Literally started typing up the text uh, as we were talking because he did ask. Uh, he was, said he was curious to see them, so I will be sharing them. That's really That's the relationship that Ingolmag has with these professional goaltenders who are not just guests, but they're looking for information that uh, Ingol can provide uh, along the way. Uh, Hacho, we got uh, a lot of really interesting and uh, provocative stuff coming up at uh, Ingol with uh, different videos and different content. Sure do. My head's spinning this week, guys. I mean, the Richard Bachman video I was editing, this podcast I was editing, and also a great uh, video with Thomas Spear James Reimer and back warm. And as you were talking about 6040 via text, I was getting all confused because I just edited a video where Thomas Spear is doing 5050, which is a completely different thing than 6040. He doesn't just have a different ratio in mind. Um, so there's so much great stuff. And Darren, I understand you taking notes. I think I need a giant whiteboard here in the office to try and keep track of all the awesome stuff that's happening. So those things are coming up. There's a tip a minute when I'm going through those drills. 
And then, uh, of course, about four hours from now, I'm hopping on Zoom with uh, world champion Dylan Garand, who's been a friend of uh, In Goal for a long time. We skate with him uh, every summer here on the island with uh, one of the goalie coaches he and my son work with in the summer, James Gartner of Gartner Goaltending. And uh, as a result, we've been able to build a bit of a relationship. And uh, I was I was impressed, guys. What do you think? most junior hockey players would be feeling at about seven o'clock in the morning after they've just won a gold medal. Probably not up for a text, but I texted Dylan and said, hey, can we get together on the pod? And bam, the response came right away and we had a very engaging conversation. So obviously he uh, was enjoying celebrating uh, the gold medal win in the World Junior Championships, but he's uh, firmly focused on the New York Rangers camp, which is coming up as well. So uh, that's why Dylan is progressing so well in his career already. And uh, he is one of the most well-thought uh, young men I've spoken to. And one of those guys who Woody refers to as no stone unturned. He's trying everything he can to become better. So uh, I look forward to pulling at a whole bunch of threads with Dylan and coming up with some great material for uh, all of our listeners to learn from. Woody, that uh, that's a, a really luxurious situation for the New York Rangers to have uh, the goaltending that they, they uh, can deploy right now and in the future. Yep. Uh, something about uh, this uh, Benoit Lair guy being able to identify talent. Um, not bad. Not bad. Lundqvist, Garand, Shishterkin. Let me ask you this. We got to go here, but uh, what do they all have in common? I don't know. Next week. We'll come back next week and I'll tell you what. Even though they all have different approaches, different backgrounds, there are a couple elements that I believe they have in common that might be one of the key threads to why the Rangers keep identifying. They all have different teachers, different approaches, different styles. I mean, Lundqvist was as unique as they come, but there are common elements within there that I think might be one of the indicators of why they all end up with the New York Rangers and, and maybe part of what uh, Benoit Lair identifies as necessary talent amongst the goalies that they draft in New York. That was really mean what you just did there. Not Teaser. not holding it. No, not not holding it off for next week. I think that's a great uh, marketing tool uh, to bring everybody back uh, for Ingol Radio, the podcast. But Hutch has already said his mind is uh, exploding, and then you throw that in, and the look on his face right now is uh, one of uh, total uh, confusion. Like I, trying I think to I, I come... might have it now, but we'll oh, really? Because well, you know. had the, the sideways Spocky and eyebrow raise, like huh? Oh yeah, it was so, there. Uh, Takes me a while I'm, to catch up to Woody's brain. Uh, I'm I'm far far behind that. Uh, thanks for this, you guys. Uh, Scott Wedgwood, uh, the Sensorina feature interview was awesome, and there's one more listener for sure uh, with me. Uh, I don't know about you guys, and then uh, over at the, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com with Cam, uh, the pro returns. Uh, check it out at thehockeyshop.com or stop by uh, if it's uh, in your backyard. We'll talk to you next week and we'll get the answer what Shesterkin, Lundquist, and Garan all have in common on Ingle Radio, the podcast.